Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to Rearranged, a Jcast Network podcast. Join us each week as we delve deeper into some of the ideas brought up in the FYI docudrama series, Arranged. Welcome to Rearranged, uh, the podcast about the FYI show, Arranged, which follows three couples as they... Uh, prepare for and then live with their arranged marriages. Um, for all of the loyal watchers, and I know there's two of you, uh, you know that this past Tuesday evening we found that they did not put um, a new episode up into on the show. Um, and so this morning, after I had DVR'd both the, I guess, the 9 o'clock Recording and the 11 o'clock recording and found that there were two reruns of previous episodes. Um, the fact that they weren't there, I then, you know, Googled a little bit and looked on Twitter and Mayur uh, and Manika, someone put up that because of something that happened in the episode that was supposed to air this week, um, it somehow connected to what happened this week in Orlando. Uh, or this past weekend in Orlando, and as a result, they chose to uh, not show that episode right now. Um, I think it will be on next week. I don't know if they're going to do a new edit of that episode or whether they just wanted to create space between what happened um, and showing the episode. Um, So I was talking to Rabbi Stephanie Ruske, the Associate Dean of the uh, Jewish Theological Seminary and my, as I said last week, we had a very non-traditional, traditional Jewish wedding. Um, so I spoke to her and said, well, what should we do this week? Should we do an episode at all? Um, should we talk about Orlando? Which felt a little bit, um, it didn't feel in con- connection to kind of the themes of this uh, podcast. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, maybe what we could do is talk about, which is what we teased last week. And I said, of course, it would require, you know, 30,000 downloads. And sadly, as of yet, we haven't gotten that number. But I thought that perhaps what we could do is we could um, look at uh, at our wedding. Um, and as I called it, a non-traditional, traditional Jewish wedding. Um, and really focus primarily on um, the Ketubah, which is a traditional Jewish wedding document, and what uh, Stephanie and I chose to do, which is the Brit Ahuvim. Um, and I thought Stephanie uh, could talk a little bit about the Brit Ahuvim, the differentiation between the two uh, documents. Um, we could both talk a little bit about why we chose uh, the Brit Ahuvim instead of the uh, traditional ketubah, and that's what we would do this week for our um, podcast. So, hi, Stephanie. Hello. Thanks for having me. You know, it's, it's easy when you uh, we share an apartment. Um, 
so you got what we were planning on doing this week. And um, so can you first kind of walk us through a traditional ketubah? The, a ketubah essentially says that the male partner purchases the female partner. He buys his wife. So there are lots of couples today who feel like that doesn't actually resonate with their relationship, which is how we felt. It also is true that today lots of people get married who, weren't, who did not get married in the imagination of the rabbis. And so same-sex marriages have also raised the issue of who's acquiring who, and the paradigm doesn't seem to work. So the ketubah says that the man purchases the woman, and, that's, and then it spends the rest of the time laying out what the rest of the uh, negotiations are and the rest of the conditions of their marriage, but it's an acquisition. Right. Um, and in fact, in a traditional wedding ceremony, um, what the man says to the woman is, which is, I take you upon for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I know there's some, some more liberal Jewish communities will have both the man and the woman say that same language. And then the more traditional people might say that if two people are saying the exact same thing, then they're actually kind of dis... They're negating they're each other. Each they're other canceling out. each other out because you can't own me when I own you. Yes, that is true. Although I would just add that Mikudeshet is really to sanctify, like to to bring you close in holiness. Um, so that, I, I think the Ketubah document itself is more where the acquisition happens. This is like I'm sanctifying you to myself, and yes, it's not reciprocal. Um, so what we did was different than that. We did um, a Bridahuvim, and I don't remember where we got that from. Where was we where got, did you find it? We got it from the scholar uh, Rachel Adler, and she wrote a book called Engendering Judaism. Right. Um, and in it, it talks about the Bridahuvim, which, as I understood it, was kind of a partnership contract. It is. And it is fr- it's from the Torah. There, so it is based in Torah and then followed up in the Talmud. It's a traditional kind of relationship. It's just different than an acquisition of a marriage. It was used for business partnerships. It was used to talk about covenant between God and the Jewish people. Um, And it was also used to talk about two particular covenants. um, One in Samuel between Yonatan and David and Avraham and Abimelech in the book of Breshit. So these are two uh, examples of of partnership uh, documents. Exactly. And the, and I think that the reason that she included those as opposed to only the covenant between God and the Jewish people was that she was also thinking about how do you end this, right? There's not really an end to the covenant between God and the Jewish people, but sometimes marriages don't stay. And so this was also a way of rooting it in humanity. Right. But I mean, our... Breed does not actually say what happens at the end of the the uh, marriage. That's correct. And I actually just read an interesting piece by the son and daughter-in-law of Rachel Adler who talked about... Did they use a Bridahovim? They did. Okay. And they said that they so appreciated that she had done the heavy lifting for them. And they, one of them is a conservative rabbi and one of them is a, a reform rabbi. And they have been playing with 
since that time. How do, how do you actually do it? Because she created an incredible basis for a document and a whole new way of thinking about the partnership as opposed to the acquisition, but she didn't create a whole ceremony. And as you may recall, we also had to think about what does the ceremony look at it? There's not like a template that's just ready to go. And we happen to have been engaged people who wanted to really build every aspect of our ceremony, but that's not true of every couple. Um, so did they did they then come up with something that would become a more traditional looking, or maybe not traditional, but just that exists? Yes. They happen to have wanted it to feel traditional, which I think Rachel did also. The idea was that they wanted you to feel like you went to a Jewish wedding and people would be moved to say, like, mazel tov and dance at the end, that it should feel... You shouldn't have had to compromise your egalitarian principles and have one person acquire the other, but you should be able to still feel like this had all of the trappings of a Jewish traditional Jewish ceremony. And so they recommended to uh, a different bracha to say in the place where one would say erusin, the first two blessings in a traditional ceremony. Um, and then to and then instead of somebody acquiring somebody, you you raise up. You, you would put two objects in a case, something that's like a shared bag. You raise it up together, and then you put it down, and then you read the, the Brida Huvim rather than the Ketubo, which lays out a whole other way that's much more egalitarian of relating to each other. And you do the Sheva Brachot. Right. So we did, we did pretty much that, except for that we did do the traditional uh, Eruzin Brachot. Is that right? That is correct. Um, so what they point out, though, is that Rachel didn't talk about what happens if the marriage doesn't work. There's not. And so they say that it's likely that a Beit Din would say that as an after-the-fact thing, if a couple had gotten married with a Brida Huvim, that they would still need to get. They did this in place of Kedushin. They want to make it so that they wouldn't say that you did this in place of Kedushin, that like actually you wouldn't need to get and they would get away from or either of you could give each other sort of a release from the marriage um, and that you wouldn't have the problem vagunot of women who are chained to men who don't want to be married to them anymore but won't free them. So what you could do, and you're going to have to give a little more explanation for our listeners, is um, you know because of the issue of agunot, and the, agunot, the concept of agunot is that traditionally a man must give his wife the, uh, okay. the get. And if, if he refuses, there's nothing that can force him to, and then she cannot get remarried. Is that right? Correct. Right. So could the alternative be that you add into a Brit Ahuvim a Lieberman clause? A Lieberman clause being? A clause that says that even though you're entering into this acquisition kind of relationship of a traditional ketubah, that if either of you decides that you don't want to continue to be married, that the man automatically will give the get. He agrees now at the outset that he will give a get, and if he doesn't, then it can be declared null and void. Um, so it's a way of safeguarding the woman from the beginning. Right. So, I mean, so that's an alternate, right? I mean, and, I mean, on some level, I actually never actually, I'm not sure we ever had the conversation about, like, would we need a get, Um Although I kind of think like, well, we, sh- we I would want to get one because it's part of our traditional Jewish experience. Um, and therefore, you know, in the same ways that, you know, although we did a different contract, we did a very Jewish wedding. We did a very, we did the Sheva Brachas. We did, you know, all of those components. Um, 
you know, it's interesting that they want to get away from that piece. Well, they want either party to be able to, able to dissolve it in a religious way. And in, in this piece, anyway, they said that they really thought about should there be a ritual that they designed that's sort of like the mirror image of the holding up of the putting objects into a bag. And Pour everything that. out of the bag. <laughs> they said, ultimately, this is really hard on everybody. And if a couple wants to create some kind of d- dissolving ritual, they can do that. But they didn't want to mandate it. Like, it's already traumatic enough. So they said, you have a... You, you release each other, and, and they also think, and then you have to get a civil divorce. So it, hopefully no one's doing this in, the ra- in like a rash mood and on the, in the spur of the moment. Um, in an official uh, uh, divorce, you actually have, I mean, a get, you actually have to rip the ketubah. Isn't that right? Yes. Right. So, I mean, you know, I think it's like you don't want to, I mean, I think on some level it would be more interesting or more important for them to have created this ritual today when they were getting married rather than assume that at this moment when there could be some acrimonious feelings towards one another, when there could be a lot of like, get me the hell out, I don't want to be sharing this and having this, oh, let's explore new interesting ideas. You know, this is not the time that you'd think you'd want to create it, whether maybe that was the right, a better time, you know, to do that work. Well, they but they might suggest, and if I were... Uh, working with a couple that was going to use this, I might say to them, as they were writing their own Brida Hovim, should you find yourself in the situation where you want to dissolve the, the marriage, what could you imagine? Could you design a ritual for yourselves now? I think that the the children of Rachel Adler who were having this conversation were saying, like, we don't want to, like, we're creating something new and we don't want to create it for everybody. Wait, like, we don't want to request. Rachel created it. They built on it. They they sort of did a 2.0. So they added the bracha. She created the idea, or the innovation of taking this partnership idea and applying it to contemporary marriage and made some suggestions about how to create that document. They then said, okay, we want to like put this in the framework of an actual wedding ceremony. And so they did like, they built on to what she had already done. Right. I mean, I think we just went by based on kind of her stuff, and it feels like ours is not actually, was not all that different than her theirs. Or so it sounds from as you're expressing it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so different, but I remember feeling a little bit like we were on our own, like we had this document, but I didn't totally know. And I think I, we had a friend who had gotten married using a Brida Huvium. And so I a little bit relied on them for information. But our the rabbi who married us had never used a Brita Hovim right. before. But, it was like all new. we had a bag as well. And I, where do you think we got that idea? I mean, I think it was from Rachel Adler. You know, and we put the things in and we read it and we did the Shevard Brachot. Like, I, yeah. you know, we must have gotten it from her texts or her, you know, what she was talking about in the book. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem so different. It's not so different. It's more It's more complete and it's a little more tied up in a bow. And it's like having had the time to think through and have experienced it to add some more of what they've come to think about it. I found it helpful uh-huh. to think about at this point, married for however long we've been married. Are we hiding? <laughs> 11 years. <laughs> Almost 11 years. I mean, <laughs> when you have nearly six-year-old children, you don't have to hide. I mean, this is this reality. Um, all right. So... I mean, I think it would also be kind of um, unstated but obvious that in the communities that Ben and Vicky um, exist in, um, 
what we did would not be in any way, shape, or form considered a Jewish wedding or Correct. a binding wedding or a I don't know what it's, you know. You're totally right. Right. I mean, I mean, they would rely rabbi on who rabbi who Correct. rabbied us, who married us. Yes, if they were to encounter us in some sort of life cycle event, they would consider what we did kedushin after the fact. Mm-hmm. Just by the you know, it's kind of a, what a, a common law marriage, right? Uh, or we're living in sin, which you know we all are. Um, okay. Well, um, I mean, while I didn't want to talk about uh, Orlando um, in this episode, I end each episode of rearranged with saying only simchas and that feels a little off this week uh in the days after the pulse shooting um i think that people ought to go uh and explore rabbis against gun violence um which another jcast network podcaster rabbi menachem creditor is very connected with um and uh i want to uh, encourage people to, you know, think about what's important and how we can all be uh, more humane to one another and accepting of one another, um, no matter what our religious backgrounds are, no matter what our sexual orientations are. Um, I wonder whether there could one one season many years from now be a episode of Arranged or one of the couples in Arranged uh, be a a gay couple. Um, may we go to Simchas. Uh, see you next week.